podcast contains mature content listener discretion is advised coming to you from an undisclosed location murder incorporated so buddy why do you like true crime well harley i didn't until i started podcasting about it now i like hearing about people's stories and justice being served how about you harley well the truth is my father was a murderer And I think because of that, I've always been fascinated by the mind of a killer and the fallout to the families of violent crime. True crime stories also give me a much deeper appreciation for my family's well-being. What's your favorite episode that we've covered, buddy? Oh, that's easy. That's the Missoula Mauler. Because the families of the victims receive true justice. For me, it's like having children. You can't pick a favorite, even though I do have a favorite child. We are Murder Incorporated. Download wherever podcasts are found. Hello, and welcome to the jury room, where we dissect some of the most heinous, some of the most unthinkable, and some of the most monstrous crimes to ever scar the earth. From cannibalistic serial killers to decades-old unsolved mysteries, These stories are sinister enough to keep you up at night. All right, well, welcome back to the Sunday Morning Slasher, part two, The Aftermath. I'm joined by a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Stacy Hughes. She's the host of the Oklahoma Side podcast, which she's a huge supporter of my show, and I love her and her husband. They do such a great job presenting their cases and what they cover. Stacy, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. I introduced you a little bit, but why don't you tell everybody where they can find you at, what your show's about, and all that good stuff. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Um, So, Zachary is my husband, and he and I host Oklahoma Side Slings in the Sooner State. We have Instagram and Twitter at Oklahoma Side, and you, of course, can listen to us on all major podcast platforms, and we would love for you to check us out. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Jury Room podcast. I think that some of the best research that I've heard in true crime podcast comes from um, his show. And I just think that it's it's just such an honor to be here with you, honestly. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's very sweet of you to say. Uh, Do you guys have any cases coming up, any upcoming episodes that you're excited about? Yeah, so I'm actually going to look at the Karen Silkwood case next, which is a famous Oklahoma murder. So I'm just starting on that, but that will be our next release. Um, But I am keeping an eye out on what's happening with the Julius Jones case here in Oklahoma. So Julius Jones is on death row and they're trying to set an execution date for him, but he's supposed to have a hearing on September 13th. It got canceled, but yesterday I saw that it was reinstated. the pardon and parole board had essentially denied the DA's request to cancel the hearing. So there is so much evidence that Julius Jones is innocent. There is another person who confessed. The eyewitness description doesn't even match Julius Jones. And so I'm really, it's just the spotlight is on Oklahoma. We have a really tragic past when it comes to justice, um, especially justice against African-Americans or injustice. Um, You know, it was just recently the uh, 
centennial of the Tulsa race massacre. Um, and President Biden came and spoke in Tulsa and everything. And we just, there's a very dark history in Oklahoma. And we just continue to perpetuate some of those stereotypes, honestly, that people have about people who live in this area. And I promise we're not all like that. Um, and so I'm really just keeping an eye out on that. I've covered the case um, twice because there were so many updates. And so I just really encourage everyone to check out Justice for Julius. Um, you can sign petitions and just read up on his story. Viola Davis did a great documentary with ABC, I believe, um, called The Last Offense. And you can find that on their website. So I definitely um, would appreciate everyone checking out his story. And I'll definitely include a link in this, you know, in the show notes for that petition. I'm not too familiar with it, but I've definitely seen you posting it over social media and on Twitter. And uh, it's definitely, it's sad when stories like this happen where there's, you have people who confess and yet somebody's still in prison. There's so much red tape sometimes that you almost want to just rip through it and say, come on, like, let's, let's do this right by this individual. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's weird too. They're being, the DA's office is being kind of shady about um, all of their, you know, records, all of their court documents. They won't release everything to uh, the defense team. It's just, it already feels so sketchy and they're hiding stuff. I mean, it just, there's so much to this. And I mean, you can find so much information as well. Um, but I highly recommend checking out their website. Like I said, the documentary and everything is linked there. Right. <clears throat> All right. On. Well, thanks for coming on. We're going to talk about another, I guess, injustice against a lot of different people. And, and that is the Sunday morning slasher part two. Right. So, um, you know, Carl Eugene Watts was a, I don't know, he was disgusting, you know, to the truest sense of the word. Uh, like you, I listened to a ton of true crime, probably way more than I should. Um, but he's, in my opinion, one of the one of the more prolific serial killers that I had never heard of until I started doing research on him. And then I was like, oh, man, and it's. I, I don't understand why there's not more out there on, you know what I mean? There's a lot on him, but there's not a lot of people that talk about him. Yeah. That's so interesting that you said that because I thought maybe it was just me. Um, but, but Kevin, I had ever, never heard of this story before I listened to your uh, coverage of it. So I, I think that's so interesting too. If firstly, if he killed as many people as he said, then the insane plea agreement and just how everything unfolded it's so fascinating i so i also cannot believe i just had never heard of this before right and you know and it's amazing from not amazing that's not in the right context but you know from the time he was a kid until you know he pretty much started getting in trouble for his crimes uh he had years upon years to inflict pain upon women and and just just fly under the radar like you know there was confessions other serial killers you know who had confessed to his crimes even though you know they had nothing to do with it it's just the whole case from beginning to end is just i don't know it's it's scary to think that somebody went that undetected for as long as they did yeah and i think it's interesting how his attacks were so random as a woman, and maybe Kevin, you feel this way too, but 
almost every time I drive up to my house, I always at least have the thought of just being aware of my surroundings go through my head because one of my greatest fears is just someone jumping out as I'm going into my house. And so it's like one of those fears that's really unlikely to occur, but this case, it was so random and that's exactly what he did that it was like, holy shit. Like my worst fear could so easily happen. And I just, like you said, the fact that he was able to torment women for so long is completely baffling. Right. And that's, you know, like you, you touched on it right there. It's, it's almost sad because you're not the first woman that I've heard that from, right? Like I'm not, I don't live with that fear while I'm paranoid and I, you know, I'm constantly surveying my surroundings probably from all the true crime that I listen to. Right. Um, but I don't live in that constant fear. You know what I mean? And I don't understand why we as a society have accepted the fact that there's a whole group of people who constantly have to look over their shoulder because, you know, if they tell somebody no, or if they look at somebody wrong, you know what I mean? That they're going to be attacked or that they have to live with that fear. Yeah. I actually saw one Instagram account I follow. I can't even tell you what it was, but there was like a snap of a Twitter conversation and the original post was somebody was making fun of a girl who was like maybe in her early twenties or so. And she was on FaceTime walking and you could tell, I guess that she was scared and that's why she was FaceTiming. Like it was going to protect her. And so the response to this tweet was like laughing at her for thinking that would protect her. And somebody posted, how about instead of making fun of somebody who's so fearful that they have to do this, we ask ourselves as a society, why it's like more acceptable to joke about this than to do something about this. And I just was like, that is so true. Like we have made the things that some of us do to go to protect ourselves. Like maybe the links we go to, we've made it almost a joke. Or like you said, a lot of people are just unaware because they don't experience it. I took my uh, car to get my oil changed last week. And on my key ring, I have a little weapon. It's like a cat face that in the ears are like, they hook into your knuckles and you can, you know, fight somebody. Stab somebody, it. right. Yeah. And so the girl who checked me in told me when I, when I came to check back out, she said, I, she handed me my keys and she said, all the guys out there wanted to know what this was. And I said, Oh, she's like, clearly they don't have to worry about their safety every day. And I was like, yeah, definitely. And so it's just, it is, it's like this common thing that is just understood between women that we've all experienced this in some capacity. Right. And that's the, it, I didn't understand it. Like maybe I was ignorant to it before, you know, until I started getting into doing this podcast and, and really researching and stuff like that. And I, I didn't know, you know what I mean? And it's not like, you know, I'm one of those guys that are out there, you know, trying to be assholes to women, you know what I mean? But yeah. at the same time, it's like, I had no idea. And now that I know, I'm like, it makes me sad because like, I don't have to live in fear. Why should you, you know, you should be able to walk down the street, do whatever you want, whenever you want, no matter what time of day, night, it doesn't matter and do whatever you want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or 
if somebody comes on to you anywhere, you should be able to say, Hey, no, thank you. Like I'm fucking married. Or even if you're not married, like you should be able to tell somebody to fuck off without having to worry about them following you around for an hour. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But that's a whole, we could, that's a whole nother conversation that we could get off on too. Um, But back to Carl Eugene Watts and, I guess one of the things, the the infuriating parts in this episode that really just got to me was the plea deal that they offered him. The immunity to the murders for the confessions to only be, put him in prison for, at maximum, 60 years, right? And so you as a mother, we were talking about a little bit before we started, but um, I don't know how I would feel if I was a family member, you know what I mean? Like what, what would be running through my head? Like, damn, do I want to know what happened or would I rather see justice be served? What is your take on that? Yeah, I could, I totally see what you're saying. And I think in this case, it's even more challenging because either way he goes to jail, right. Or he goes to prison. And so as a family member, I feel like that would make it even more challenging. Like I know he's getting put away now, of course, after appeals and uh, at parole, he doesn't serve what we think he's going to initially. But as a mom, I just feel like I would be so desperate to know that I might be willing to sacrifice that justice because, you know, there were even some of the people that he led the detectives to the bodies after his immunity deal a lot of them were like listed as runaway or missing people. And I just, they had no idea what happened to their loved ones. And this plea deal, however controversial, did give them at least some answers. And so even though I'm not 100% sure how I feel about it, I feel like, like I was saying earlier, it's just really perplexing to me when there's no statute of limitations on murder and they could have waited for, you know, more advanced technology or, you know, something to break the case open, but instead they offered immunity. But again, I just, as a, as somebody who can find the answers out for maybe tens of 20 people or so, I mean, I don't know how many he ends up confessing to total, um, I know he said like it could have been over 80 because he mentioned there were not enough hands uh, and feet in that room. Right. Um, but I don't remember if you mentioned that like a total number he confessed. It wasn't, it, it's, I know it's in the teens, almost in the, to the twenties that he confessed to. And then um, even more. Right. But the, but that doesn't even include all of the assaults. Like how yeah. many people did he let live? You know yeah. what I mean? Because he wasn't just, he wasn't just about murdering people or, you know, killing yeah. them. He was about exuding control over, you know, somebody who he thought was less than him. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And he clearly hated women. Right. And that's, um, I had Paige on for the aftermath for the first one. And that was one of the, the things that we were talking about. It was like, who, who in his life, like, that's one of the things that you see. It's like a, a in a trend, it's not a good trend, but in a lot of these cases like this, there's somebody in his life, whether it be a mother, an aunt, a sister, somebody, you know, who caused him some sort of pain, maybe abused him, obviously not sexually, because he was, 
he didn't even want to have sex with women barely. You know what I mean? So it wasn't about sexual satisfaction. Uh, I think it was something, something happened somewhere that it fused in his head that he had to control every single woman and that he came across. Yeah. I feel like there is definitely some trauma or something from his childhood that could play into how he became who he became and how he had, you know, came to have those feelings towards women. I just don't feel like you hate women that strongly for no reason. So, um, I don't know. I'd be curious to learn more about his childhood. And that's Paige said the same thing. She's like, I want all of it. She's like the good, the bad, everything to try to piece together that, you know, that picture of what really did happen to him. You know, my theory was, is that he, his dad had abandoned them and then his mom remarried. So he was probably pissed off about that. There were more kids involved in the situation, you know, now, and then now he's fighting for more attention. You know what I mean? And I think that's in a way, I mean, when you're a kid and you have to share attention, you're, you're, not and I mean you just don't know any better until you learn you know that you have to share attention but that could have been that breaking point in his personality especially if he already had mental disorders you know what I mean yeah if you compile those feelings with a psychopath or you know that little things can trigger that more easily because you know dealing with a stepdad and half siblings, that's something a lot of people have to deal with. They don't turn into serial killers. So I think you're probably right. Combined with, I mean, I know he was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. Um, with so, homicidal tendencies. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're already experiencing those things combined with, you know, one of my professors at um, the university of Oklahoma, we were, uh, I studied, uh, English and one of the books we were reading, I was in this young adult literature class and the whole book, you know, this character, the protagonist has had, um, some sort of trauma and the whole book you're waiting to find out what it was. And at the end, I'm not going to give all the details. Um, it's called Belzar if you want to read it. Um, but at the end, I, her trauma, what I find out it is, I was mad. I was like, that's it. <laughs> um, and my professor said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, her trauma, no matter what it was, it was real to her. And so our traumas are so individualized to who we are that what I consider trauma might not affect you. And what you consider trauma might not affect me. And so even though dealing with half siblings and things like that is common to him, it could have been the trauma that triggered. Um, and of course there could always be more happening behind closed doors. Right. And there could be a whole facet to the story that we don't know to where maybe his mom or his sister was, you know, abusing him, you know, and kind of, but nobody knew about it. You know what I mean? And he yeah. felt ashamed to try because that's, that's another point, you know, is it was a different time period, right? Like the time that we live in now and the way that mental health is looked upon and that they're working towards is different than it was 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, you had the, the, 
you know, this perception of a man, you, you, you had to be a man. You couldn't cry. You couldn't show emotion. You couldn't, you know what I mean? None of that was acceptable. And so, you know, when abuse was happening to a, a boy or a man, you felt ashamed because it was like, you couldn't even go and talk about it. So maybe there is a facet to the story, something like that to where we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, I don't know the whole it's it's just it's interesting to me because it's like something that I've started to ask over the last few aftermath episodes and I'll I want your opinion on this do you think that serial killers are born the way that they are or do you think that they're made you know it's that it's that nature versus nurture kind of thing yeah so I think that there definitely could be some like genetic predispositions and things like that. But I absolutely, I absolutely believe that our environment, our relationships, um, different things were exposed to shape who we are. I mean, I had a very unique upbringing. Um, my husband says it's a cult. I don't, it was just a super religious situation and it, definitely shaped who I am now um, because I just was exposed to the dark side of religion um, in such extreme ways that I would never be able to look at the concept of religion or at least religious institutions the same way. Um, So that plays a huge part of my belief systems, my political belief system all of that so I think that there are definitely things I was born with as far as character traits um because I can see them reflected in my daughter too and but there are things that are the way they are because of my experiences right and that's you know that's the it's the question of time you know and true true crime psychology I mean I don't think we'll ever truly be able to answer that question because even as, you know, kids are growing up, as as you watch your daughter growing up, you know, the way she was at two and the way she is at, you know, five, seven, 10, 12, it's all going to be different, right? right? Their personality is forming. And so, and it's hard to catch somebody like, you know, that has, you know, tendencies of psychopathy when they're young um, because you don't know if that's truly what their personality is. Yeah, it sounded like he kept at least part of him hidden um, and his attacks were so random. I know he like had some situations where he could be, he, he fit the description and things like that, but it seems like he at least tried to separate what he was doing from his personal like day-to-day situation. Right. And that's, you know, a lot of his day-to-day, you know, like his real life with a lot of serial killers, there's a lot of information, but you really don't know what he was doing day-to-day. Yeah. You know, he was going to college and so on and so forth. And he was an athlete, but the reality of it is, is that his attacks were like, you've said, you know, several times just so random How could you even begin to try to predict that? Yeah. And he got people at like unexpected times too, Um, like early morning and whatnot. It wasn't 
always in the dark like you expect those situations to be right and that's the other hard part is is that even with the lights on that you know with the sun out he's still out there trying to attack people and it's like at that point it's like what there's nothing you can do to protect yourself because it's not only at night because if it's at night you can you know save yourself but during the daytime it's it's totally a different ball game yeah and it seems like to an extent he knew he was risking getting caught i mean he drowned one victim at her apartment complex that screams risky to me because anyone could be there i mean you don't know how many people are home how many people live here it is so random you don't even know who you're gonna follow so it's not like he's been stalking this victim um before like he made the decision to follow her home and he just took that risk and i mean he didn't have any witnesses but it could have easily happened well that's the bystander effect right there right so like how like i'm sure you've lived in an apartment and and i live in an apartment now and so when you start hearing commotion outside while you're not gonna go out there you're gonna peek out and if it's the pool is generally in a courtyard to where apartments look over the pool uh, my question is, where the fuck were her neighbors at? Why didn't anybody say anything? Yeah, and unfortunately, that wouldn't be the first time something like that has happened. When I was living in Manhattan, I was teaching at a college, and um, I actually, in the in the book that we had to use to teach, there was a story, a nonfiction piece, and I think it was set in New York. I think it happened in New York. And this woman was brutally attacked and was screaming for help, like where she lived. And tons of people heard and just assumed somebody else would call the police and no one helped her. And it was like 30 plus people total or something like that. And uh, so things like this do happen, just like you say. I don't know. Like, I never understood that. Like, I've always, you know, been into the mindset of you got to do what's right and and you got to help your, you know, your neighbors, even though you might not ever say a word to them, but you still got to help them. You know what I mean? Like, there's still that unspoken rule of just helping your neighbor. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't ever talk to my neighbors. I'm just kind of... People don't believe me when I say this, uh, but I'm a little bit introverted um, and I feel like it gets old. As I get older, it gets worse. But my neighbor, one time I, you're the same, yeah. (laughs) One time I accidentally locked myself out of my house and my daughter, I think she was two at the time. So she didn't really know how to unlock the door and stuff. Now I have a, a number pad. I got like a new security system and I don't have to use keys anymore. But um, I had my cell phone, I got locked in, was in my house. And so I had to go knock on my neighbor's door. And I think she's like an overnight nurse or something. That's just my assumption. I've never talked to her, but she had clearly been sleeping. I had clearly woken her up. Um, but she just like, let me use her phone. I called my in-laws. They brought like a spare key. Uh, and then I also have a neighbor, like three houses down, two or three houses down, who is an officer. And it does like, I have never spoken a word, but we always wave to each other. And it does make me feel safer just having him so close to my house, honestly. Right. And that's that introvertedness. I think it just comes from not wanting to deal with, you know what I mean? People, because the reality is that everybody kind of looks out for themselves and they're not looking out for each other anymore. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah that's well i mean at least now you've got that number keypad that's cool yeah it is it's really awesome <laughs> what's your take on like the psychology of his anti-personality disorders i mean there's got to be something else to it right maybe a little bit of schizophrenia something like that what's your take on that you know maybe i'm not familiar with the anti-social personality disorder but I do remember I was listening to a podcast once and they were specifically talking about that and said that it is essentially being diagnosed as like a psychopath. It It's the same tendencies and stuff. So it's not just like somebody who doesn't like to be around people. It's like somebody who literally feels nothing for people. Um, so has that lack of empathy is my understanding. Now I am not a psychologist. So I <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a whole nother. It's, it's interesting to me. Like I, I, I've always wanted to try to understand how people's lack of empathy uh, yeah. because it's hard not to feel, you know, feel that empathy for people. So, I mean, what do you think it's like a blank like almost like a blank stare that's just constantly going through their head where they're only thinking about themselves. Yeah, I do. I think they have to be narcissistic, I'm sure. Um, but I also think it's just how some people feel towards like certain animals, like, you know, you're just, your, your life really doesn't matter. I, and I'm not saying that is how I feel about animals. I'm just saying like so, the people who hunt for sport and things like that. I think it's that same kind of just disregard for life. Right. And then one thing I think that irritated me the most about this was, is he didn't even get to serve barely any time in prison. And then he dies of cancer and it was like, he got cancer and then died. So it wasn't even like, there's not many people that I want to suffer. Uh, but in this case, I wouldn't have mind him to suffer a little bit before he died. Yeah, he he was a pretty terrible human. Um, definitely. I just the number of people that he hurt or killed, um, like like we said, without really leaving any trace. Um, it's astounding. Right. And and that's another thing that's crazy too, is is that he was diagnosed, you know, not diagnosed, but he was tested to having low IQ, right? But then he turned around in prison and was able to find a loophole in this case. Yeah, so that makes me wonder, like, IQ test, as an educator, I have really mixed feelings about IQ test because I feel like anyone... Um, there are different learning styles and IQ tests do not consider that. And so I don't think they are a true measure of intelligence. Um, he could have, you know, had severe anxiety and that would impact his performance. I mean, there's so much that plays into how those test results, um, you know, yield whatever they yield. So I just, like you said, I don't think he could have a gotten away with what he did for so long and B been able to figure out a mistake that a DA's office made if he was not at a higher, uh, mental capacity. Right. And that's the part that, that kills me too, is that it's like they, he, he found his own loophole 
over people who are supposed to be, you know, experts. Yeah. And also think about this. He got out because of his good behavior and for, you know, his compliance in prison, like originally. And if he was able to shut it off, I mean, that's somebody who's smart. Like they know what they're doing. They know what's appropriate and when it's appropriate. Right. It's the difference basically between right and wrong. And when it's, you know, when it's time and it's crazy too, because there's a lot of, of murderers and people who commit crimes who on the outside, when they have freedom, go ape shit. But for some reason, when they're in prison or in a mental facility or something like that, that they're able to just be, you know, walk a straight line and like not commit any crimes. Yeah. Like uh, Kemper, he actually turned himself in. And even before that, he was buddies with like all the community officers. And then he was like a model prisoner. Um, he even worked with the FBI. And so it's just, it's really, really fascinating how they can be, some of these criminals can be so just disgusting towards their victims and horrific. But in, then just with a single decision can shut that off. I'm not saying their desire is not there, but they're not acting on anything. And if they can do that there, they can do that in society too. I just like have to believe that even if you are born with anti-social personality or psychopathy or, you know, whatever, that you still are making a decision, you know, you're still <laughs> like, I just covered this case. My last episode was uh, about this pastor who was murdered in the, the spring in Oklahoma by his wife. And, uh, well, she had their lover. So he was a pastor in Ada, which is where I was born actually. And he was like really wanting some kinky shit from her. And so I guess they finally started having like threesomes with this guy and she got this guy to kill her husband. And she's trying now the case hasn't like played out yet in court. But she's trying to go with a coercive control, like self-defense. And there is like history of like her daughter, her kids are grown and they all support it. They said he also abused them. And it does fit like the definition of what she's saying. But how on earth are you going to claim self-defense in a court of law when you premeditated, created a plan and got somebody else to kill your husband? Like, it's, I'm not saying that she didn't have a good motive or anything like that. Like, I'm not judging what she did in that capacity. I mean, you should never kill anyone. So I am judging that. But like, I'm not going to weigh in on whether she really was under coercive control. Because again, I'm not a psychologist. I have a PhD, but it's definitely not in psychology. Um, I, that's one of my regrets in life. I wish I would have went to law school. I wish I would have like become a psychiatrist or a psychologist instead, either one. But anyways, so I just, I, at some point, you know, you can't claim self-defense anymore. And um, I don't even remember where I was going with that. <laughs> I got like lost in my thought. Well, the, the, the crazy part to that is, is how can you claim self-defense when you're not 
under direct threat. Now, I understand yeah, yeah. that there's the the battered women or battered woman syndrome, right? Or, mm-hmm. or defense, right? So, and that I get because you've been abused and constant beratement or whatever for however long you put up with it. Um, but I, I don't understand how they claim self-defense in the moment where you aren't being uh, attacked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, my husband said the same thing. He's like, man, if she would have killed him in like a crime of passion moment instead, she, that that's when that defense works. But they had this, they planned this while he was on a mission trip in Mexico. (laughs) So, I mean, it, it was definitely premeditated. Yeah, and that's that. That's interesting. I'm gonna definitely keep a, an eye out for that for the updates because it's those. It's always the love triangles, right? That are the craziest, you know. I think I, you know, what I think I was trying to get back to is with his mental capacity. You do certain things that show that you cannot use certain defenses, and like I feel like his mental capability is higher than he was getting credit for um he was very cunning you know very able to to just kind of be blend in you know and and the sad part is that how many six there's 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 a lot of i mean look at the golden state killer right he was active for many years and destroyed many lives and the only reason why he got caught was because of uh, basically ancestry ancestry.com because one of his family members sent their DNA off. You know what I mean? And so it's an unfortunate part in, in these stories that we tell and, and we listen to and we digest that, you know, a lot of these people are very cunning. They're very intelligent, very smart. And for him to test low, it's almost like, you know, did he just trick the test? Yeah. Did he know that it was going to be really hard <laughs> to, you know, get out of the things he did? And I think people absolutely who are smart enough know how to look a certain way on test. And Well, look at Ed Kemper, right? So mm-hmm. he went, when he, after he killed his grandparents, before he went on his killing spree, he was able to convince so many people that he had no mental disorders and that he wasn't, a, you know what I mean, a risk to reoffend. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which that guy, he's something else, man. Yeah, you could do so much. Well, Stacy, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk to me. Um, I hope you enjoyed your time, and I am so thankful for you being here. Well, thank you for having me. I had so much fun, and I can't wait to listen to the episode. What? Uh, where can they find you at? Plug your podcast. Tell them anything you want to tell them. Yeah, so please check me out again on all major podcast platforms, Oklahoma side. Um, if you type that in, it's the only thing that will come up. It's a made up word, obviously. Um, so check me out there. I also have Twitter and Instagram, just at Oklahoma side. And yeah, that's it, really. Check us out. Um, before we go, I have one question to ask you. Do you mind answering? If you could be one sandwich condiment, what would you be and why? Oh, man, that's tough. Um, 
<laughs> I would be uh, mayonnaise because my husband and daughter just love mayonnaise. And so it reminds me of them. <laughs> All right. There you go. Well, Stacy would be mayonnaise. Again, thanks for coming on to the jury room. I appreciate having you. Uh, definitely go check out Oklahoma side. They do a great job. Zach and Stacy are amazing. Uh, they're very supportive in what they do. And, uh, I definitely am a supporter. So again, thanks for coming on and I hope you have a good day. You too. I'll talk to you Bye. later. Bye. Thanks for listening. And remember, you never know what's lurking in the shadows, lingering around the corner, walking past your house at night. So watch out, stay safe, and keep listening. This has been The Jury Room.